Hello, everybody. This episode is going to be a little different. Uh, today, I have an interview uh, with an individual named Kirk Klein. Now, he's a survivor of the Holocaust. Um, he is somebody who was raised as a young child in um, eastern Germany uh, and was able to actually get out of Germany and fled to the United States um, while the Nazis were coming to power. Uh, his family was not so lucky. Um, and so he goes through this interview. This is an interview that I have gotten off of the uh, U.S. Holocaust Museum's website. Um, so I want to credit this interview entirely to them. The reason why I'm doing this kind of voiceover is uh, the interview, uh, the interviewer, it, it's very quiet. You know, the, these interviews were done in the 90s, old technology. Um, so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to actually, I have the transcript of the interview. Um, I am going to just read over top of the questions. Uh, so it's going to sound almost like I'm asking these questions to Mr. Klein, but it is not me. I just I want to make I want to make that clear. Um, all I'm trying to do is make them easier to listen to. Uh, his voice is very clear and everything else in these, um, so you have no problem hearing him. Uh, but I am just going to cut out what the interviewer says uh, because it's so quiet, so difficult to hear. Uh, so anytime you hear me talking and asking a question, really know that it's actually the interviewer doing it. I'm just doing this for your benefit. So here we go. I'm going to start with the first question, uh, and then obviously you'll hear his voice moving forward. Describe the things that happened in the early part of the 1930s that have made you and your family aware of what was going on. Well, there was, a, of course, a lot of political strife in Germany under the Weimar Republic. And <clears throat> you, you could uh, follow the events. Uh, uh, you, you could see the parties fighting each other and at every election... Uh, some some of the uh, some parties gaining the upper hand, and uh, over a period of time, uh, we saw uh, the Nazi Party uh, uh, gather momentum and and gaining strength. Although at a later date, they they did uh, again uh, uh, fall off somewhat, but uh, uh, but it was a constant seesaw, and there was much turmoil. And uh, we were quite aware that uh, <coughs> of what was going on, uh, although, uh, of course, many uh, Jews in, in Germany uh, deluded themselves that it would never come to the very worst. But I do remember uh, an incident in my, uh, during my boyhood uh, uh, when I overheard someone who had come back from Berlin saying that uh, the, I believe that he belonged to the Social Democratic Party, uh, and uh, he came back and said, it just seems as though we're, uh, we're uh, fighting and as though we're doing something, but in reality, uh, uh, Hitler is gaining the upper hand. So we were, in one sense, forewarned, but uh, we're always hoping for the best, naturally. Why do you think so many people didn't realize what was going on? Well, uh, it's very easy uh, to delude yourself. Uh, when you feel yourself as much a part of the environment uh, as the German Jews did, um, most of them had been there for generations, had fought in the First World War, and... and, and uh, and had a reasonably good life. Some of them had a, had a very good life, and they they felt that since they were so they belonged 
to that environment and, and no one would, uh, would ever uh, uh, depose them from, from that. And it was hard to imagine that uh, even Hitler, uh, whose uh, speeches uh, certainly sounded ominous, uh, especially in the later uh, in, in the late twenties and early thirties, uh, uh, but uh, but we we thought that the matter would run its course, or many people thought so, and and, and perhaps then the Jew- there would be a place for the Jews again. Why do you think the Nazi Party gained momentum? Well, uh, it's quite obvious that uh, Germany went through uh, some very uh, difficult times as a result of of the uh, Versailles Treaty, and uh, there's no question about that. That uh, that treaty uh, was signed without much foresight on the part of those who who drafted it, and uh, it it led to widespread unemployment. First, the inflation, of course, which wiped out many people, unemployment, and uh, and and people were quite willing to listen to anybody, uh, even if the, the, some karma heads considered them rabble-rousers, uh, uh, who, who promised them a change, a, a, a change of whatever sort, uh, and and they didn't know the price for that change, of course, at that time. And uh, they were willing to, to try anything that, that uh, gave them hope. And, and Hitler very cleverly could play on their fears and their hopes. And he, he promised them to restore their pride, which was also uh, uh, a considerable thing uh, to think about, uh, quite aside from uh, from employment or unemployment. Can you discuss for me how difficult it was to see persecutions leading to what was to come from whatever you knew of that time? I'm, I'm curious as to how you knew, how you made a decision to leave when so many people didn't make that decision. Uh, I want to know more about how you were sure of, of what was happening. Well, uh, many people, uh, who, especially those who were older, of course, uh, hated to leave their, their roots, so to speak, and, uh, and kept thinking that perhaps uh, this wasn't going to be quite as bad uh, as it later turned out to be. However, there, there were many, many ominous signs on the horizon, and uh, I could name one uh, after Hitler came to power, uh, I came home from school one day to find the entrance to my home guarded by two SA troopers. Uh, they did let me pass through, but that was the famous or infamous boycott of the Jewish people and their businesses, which was meant to bring home to the German population that they ought not to do business with or consort with Jews in any way. Uh, That was one of the early signs. Well, uh, you did also begin to hear of concentration camps, and to which at first mostly political prisoners uh, were taken. Also in certain areas of Germany, not in the part where I lived, 
Jews were definitely uh, treated a lot worse than than we ever saw it. Uh, they 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 were being humiliated, beaten, and if not worse, and also some dragged off to to concentration camps. And of course, uh, those um, st- uh, stories like that did filter through eventually, and perhaps not uh, didn't take too long. Later. Uh, the boycott was in 1933. By 1935, uh, the Nuremberg Laws went into effect, and they uh, further disenfranchised uh, Jews of all their civil rights. And and um, it became quite a hardship to to comply with with all that, uh, and uh, civil servants lost their jobs right then and there. And in the meantime, Jewish businesses, the boycott had its effect, and and many uh, were were being throttled to the point of where, where they had to give up or sell to a so-called uh, to to so-called Aryan management, and many many people were forced to do that. Uh, my own father found it increasingly more difficult. To do business because uh, they they would see to it. He he happened to be a, a produce uh, broker who went around to the various farm communities to to buy up uh, hops and tobacco uh, and other items, grain, uh, and they would see to it that that he wouldn't be able to buy sometimes. Uh, the beginning, he could still get uh, some things, but uh, but it it was definitely becoming much harder, and so we saw uh, that apparently the direction in in which this thing was going, uh, and it came to the point where um, he no longer uh, could even afford to keep me in the school I went to uh, the. Uh, um, uh, well, the it, it was called Real Gymnasium, uh, which is a, somewhat like a high school, but perhaps a, a notch above, uh, and uh, and for which, of course, you had to pay tuition. So it, it was very difficult for him to do that. And at that point, when I had to leave that school, um, uh, we all decided, uh, and we had heard of others who had done the same thing, of younger people. Uh, taking up trades with the idea of eventually emigrating, and 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 putting those trades to uh, to good use uh, wherever they would go, and um, since uh, it appealed to me uh, most, I I decided to go into printing, and I began uh, an apprenticeship in that field uh, uh, with a local printer. But after a few months, uh, the authorities uh, also made it impossible for me to uh, to work for for a German printer. Uh, fortunately, uh, I did find some employment uh, in in a Jewish uh, with a Jewish concern, and that kept me going uh, for a while. In the meantime, uh, my sister, who had an Encountered uh, similar obstacles in her work, which was nursing, 
had managed uh, to leave Germany by 1936 and had come uh, to the Europe. Okay, so just part of the recording, battery died there, so we had to reload. Uh, okay, why don't you pick up with your sister and how you guys got out? <clears throat> Due to my sister's uh, coming to the U.S. in 1936, it was uh, then <clears throat> through her intervention uh, that uh, I got the necessary papers that allowed me also to, to follow her in 1937. And I also settled down in Buffalo. Tell me what or how you learned about uh, Kristallnacht. The first uh, inkling uh, any of us had of Kristallnacht was, of course, the brief uh, articles we read in the daily press here in the U.S. But eventually some letters reached us that attempted to brief us to some extent on what had happened that night. Uh, I found out, although I didn't know any details at that point, one of the uh, things that my I still remember my mother mentioned in her letter was that she said, uh, what happened... Uh, on that night uh, is really beyond description, I, and I won't go into it here. But suffice to say that we all acquired a set of mini furniture in a hurry, meaning, of course, that they had come into the house and smashed all the furniture. And as we later found out from uh, uh, other relatives who left Germany after her, Kristallnacht, uh, that a gang of of uh, S8 stormtroopers invaded my parents' home that night, and they were led by a former classmate of mine who had been in and out of our home, who had eaten at our table, and in whose house I had spent some time. And he lined up my elderly parents against the wall, and they all uh, made very ominous threats to, uh, to, toward them while they proceeded to vandalize uh, the home and, and, and destroy m most of uh, my parents' belongings. They also uh, arrested my father and hauled him off to the local jail, and that was... Uh, Actually, uh, something that, that that was still a, a whole lot better than what happened to to most people, most men. My father was already quite elderly by that time, and perhaps that um, can be uh, for for that reason. Perhaps he he was not sent to a concentration camp, but all the younger and middle-aged men were sent to concentration camps, and we would get these uh, letters subsequently in, in, in which uh, my mother or father would say uh, uh, such and such a family uh, uh, still has no news for, uh, from, from their husband uh, or uh, 
some someone else uh, has now been reunited and uh, and we talked to them and uh, and they are okay uh, and eventually m- uh, most of the men who who had been arrested on Kristallnacht were in fact um, sent back home but but some never made it out of, of concentration camp all right, everybody. So I'm going to end the um, interview here. There, there is more to this interview, um, but from here, then he goes on to talk about actually his experience. Uh, Mr. Klein eventually uh, actually joins the, the American military when the United States enters into the war. Um, he goes over as a German translator um, and, and actually is part of the liberation on the, East, or on the Western Front um, and liberating certain concentration camps and so on. Um, I am going to attach the, the entirety of this interview, the video interview link, um, with this assignment. So feel free to go on and listen to that. Uh, but just because we're focusing on this, this buildup and really to the event of Crystal Knot in that right now in this chapter, that's why I'm stopping here. Maybe later on this year, we, you, I will assign the second half of this interview. Um, but you know, feel free to go on and, and look. Uh, he, he still makes some very good points. And, and obviously, um, the, these interviews are, 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 are priceless. And there's, thank God to... The, the United States Holocaust Museum and, and to so many other organizations that, that worked so diligently throughout the, the 80s and the 90s and early 2000s to try to record as many voices as they could uh, like this of, of, of firsthand survivors and witnesses to what had happened. Um, so that's all that I have here for, for this. Uh, again, we're going to be looking into Chapter 6 and kind of actually how the Jews themselves interpreted the events um, leading up to World War II. Uh, and, and so some of the very early pieces of, of, of anti-Jewish legislation and then obviously the Nuremberg Laws um, and events like Kristallnacht. Uh, so we're going to talk in more detail as to what that looks like you know, from your textbook. This was meant to kind of give you a, a bit of a, a glimpse into the minds, into the thinking um, of, of how certain Jews, you know, why they didn't necessarily flee right to begin with. Uh, another thing that I would like you guys to think about and reflect on this uh, is that you could, I think there's pieces of this that you could take out the Jewish label of. Um, the way that, that Mr. Klein describes uh, that nobody could really imagine what was going to happen. Uh, nobody could imagine it getting to that point. You know, that, that also is true for any uh, Germans that were hesitantly supportive or even against what the Nazis were doing. You know, those Germans that remained relatively quiet and complicit. Obviously, we, we have different levels of, of complicity within the, the German nation and the German government and, and how much blame all of those people deserve. Uh, but for those more average individuals that were very tentatively or, uh, supporting the Nazis or kind of keeping their mouth shut, you, you could see even from this interview why uh, those people might have reacted the same way that we saw certain Jews react uh, and why there wasn't that initial harsh pushback. That's all that I have here for today for this. Um, do not forget, you guys, uh, for the Holocaust class, we have meetings here this week, two lectures this week that we will actually go over in person, so please check your calendars. Um, they will be during class times on Tuesdays and Thursdays now moving forward until we are back fully in school, okay? Uh, other than that, have a great day, everybody. Keep your name out of the paper, except for doing good deeds.